Well, we're going to continue in the Through the Bible series with stop number 17, and we're all the way up to Proverbs, inching dangerously toward Song of Solomon. Number 17, stop. We're just moving through the Bible and taking breaks every now and then as the Lord gives us something else to consider. But today we're looking at an overview at the book of Proverbs. As always, I like to start with, uh, with the context and the context of the book of Proverbs really comes in four separate sections. It begins with a prologue, chapters 1 through 9. And in the prologue, this woman named Wisdom and another woman, a different woman named Folly, are giving you a standing invitation to their banquets. And you can come to Wisdom or you can come to Folly, and the choice seems to be up to the reader. And then beginning in verse uh, 10 through 24, actually, are Solomon's Proverbs. Solomon, this is the same Solomon of King David's son, who was a king. He is said to be the wisest man ever. He came up with the the cut-the-baby-in-half approach to settling disputes between people. And there are actually 375 uh, Proverbs of Solomon, which just so happens to match the numerical equivalent of Solomon's name according to the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So each letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numeric number. You add them up in Solomon, you get to uh, 350, and that happens to be, or 375, and that happens to be also Solomon's uh, uh, name. Uh, In 25 through 29, the men of Hezekiah uh, have assembled. These Proverbs in 25 through 29, they're still written by Solomon, but uh, they've been somehow recovered and assembled by some men who were commissioned by a later king in the dynasty named Hezekiah. And uh, so what you'll do is you'll see some repetition, won't you? I know, uh, Rich, you read a chapter a day of Proverbs. I've always admired you for that. And so when you get past 25 and you're reading through that and... um, you see, uh, wait, I think I read that earlier already. That's because there is some repetition, but it's the way that they're assembled, actually, the, um, the, the men of Hezekiah. There are 130 of those particular Proverbs, which, by the way, just so happens to match the uh, numeric uh, equivalent of the name Hezekiah in Hebrew. So these coincidences are always kind of fun, aren't they? Join me in saying, hmm... Okay, very good. Last couple chapters ends up with a couple of uh, of uh, contributors. They wrap up the the uh, the whole thing with the famous woman of Proverbs thirty one that maybe some of you are familiar with. Woman of Proverbs thirty one, which will likely be read in millions of churches around the world for Mother's Day next Sunday. But what you may not know is that it was actually patterned after my wife Karen. In context, uh, mostly uh, individual, self-contained, pithy sayings, each proverb comes in its own package. So it's a standalone kind of thing, differs from a lot of scripture in that way. Um, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. It's an example of that, something that you maybe wouldn't be surprised to find an equivalent of, but not inspired, of course, in a fortune cookie, Right. Some of the Proverbs, listen, some of the Proverbs, although they're self-contained, they spill into more than one verse. 
And so don't get confused by that when you look at them, because I don't know if you know this, but the numbers were not added to the Bible text until the 15th century, right? I mean, those numbers are not inspired, and so they're just convenience for for us. Um, they are, as I said, uh, pithy sayings, and pithy is a fun word, which means kind of down-to-earth and forceful, but you have to be a little careful how you use it, of course, especially if you normally speak with a lisp, and you're probably better off to say down-to-earth and forceful, okay? Everybody good? Very good. Uh, really, the Proverbs contain practical wisdom, very practical wisdom for living in the covenant. The people of Israel were commanded to live according to the covenant, weren't they? And it was a pretty tight ship. And, uh, you know, this is all before Christ came which changed the nature of our relationship with God in that it fulfilled all of those demands of the first covenant. Thank God, right? Thank God. And uh, the, the people of Israel were commanded to live according to the terms of the covenant, and so many of the Proverbs are like the practical, practical kind of application. Here's how you pull that off. Here's how you pull that off and live according to the covenant, very specific. If you'll notice, living according to the covenant of God or the Ten Commandments, or anything. It's against the natural inclination of man, isn't it? It's against our natural inclination. I mean, we wake up with good intentions, and we want to, but it's like at times there's someone else driving the, the ship, right? Steering the ship, and you're going, I'm, I, I seem how, somehow by nature to be um, positioned against the covenant and the commands of God. That's the sin man living in us. Paul said, Apostle Paul, he said, I've got two people living inside of me. He said, there are things that I know I should do that I don't, and there are things that I do that I know I shouldn't. He said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Anybody feel this? And then what's his next line? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, right? Who is the one who comes and not only satisfies the demands of a holy God that have been offended by our sin, by his blood, but that he comes and as he dwells in us, he begins to transform us. So that we actually, the Bible says, writes his law on our hearts so that it becomes a natural inclination to actually want to follow God. That's a process. Be patient with the process. Just keep showing up for the transformation, okay? Because Dennis over there, like, he's way better than he was supposed to be. You know, he turned out a lot better than anybody ever would have guessed. Am I right? Yeah. And, and you can see, I mean, he's like 90, and he's just been kept... Sh- he keeps showing up, man. He keeps showing up. He's, he's like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps showing up. Give him a heart attack, big deal. He just keeps showing up. And I'm grateful for that. You're grateful for that. And it sets a pattern for us. When you look at guys like me and Dennis, when we're now on that end of the scale, then it shows a pattern, doesn't it? Are we perfect? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have to ask, did I? But is God doing a transformative work in us? Of course. Dennis and I would both give glory to God for the different men that we are now compared to who we were planned to be by the natural inclination of our hearts. And so these Proverbs came before Christ, and it's what they had. It's like, don't do that. Do it this way. And some of these Proverbs can be really hard to hear because they they really strike at places that cause us to go, ouch, because of God's great love for us and his desire for us to live according to his, uh, his covenant.
So, you know, unless you're brand new here, you, you know that I like to do a hot spot each week, give you a context, kind of a flyover of the book that we're looking at. And then I prayerfully try to find a spot where you say, Lord, where would you like to speak to us? Where would you like to speak to us? I mean, there are a lot of different Proverbs with a lot of different things to say. And I really felt drawn to Proverbs 10.21. You see it up there on on the italicized print? Can you read it with me? Let's read it together. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. The lips of the righteous nourish many. That you hold in your capacity because you are righteous by the blood of Christ. The capacity with your lips to nourish. By contrast, as many of the Proverbs are set up, it talks about but fools die for lack of judgment in what they say. The upside of this is that as righteous, those who have been made righteous by the blood of Christ, we have so much power in our words to nourish. The downside of this is that it's possible to be a righteous fool. It's possible to be caught up in covenant relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And James says, yet not to have control. Not to use discernment in the things that we say. You know, words have power in and of themselves. We know that words have power on a human scale, that, Dick, we can bless each other or we can hurt each other with our words. Thanks be to God, we've always had a blessing relationship with each other, and I'm grateful for you. There's been our choice on a human scale. But what I think is important to understand is that words have power beyond that human social dynamic that they have actual spiritual power. The Bible says, with a word, Jesus cast out demons. With a word. With a word. Boom. Go. The Bible says that God spoke creation into existence. That he spoke. He said, let there be light. He said it. And there was light. And so we see in the very character of God and his son Jesus Christ that there's power, there's spiritual power in a word. It's more than just the social dynamic, that there's actually kingdom power in a word. Now we, uh, who have been bought by Christ and come into relationship with God through Christ, we are now recipients or heirs of that word. That word now dwells in us. The Bible says in Colossians, let the word of God dwell in you richly. These aren't just words to say. These are, these are commands that we can speak out into the kingdom reality. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A little while later, you read down that chapter, it says that the Word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and beauty, and that's Christ. And so as Jesus lives in us through his redemptive work on the cross, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, then we have in ourselves a capacity to do something with the Word That is more than just social, but it's power. It's power. 
that brings with it not only an incredible opportunity, but an enormous responsibility. In the speaking of the Word. You know, there's an incredible difference between knowledge and wisdom, Proverbs says. It's one thing to know something, to have information. It's quite another to use it according to the will and way of God, isn't it? Proverbs makes a huge distinction between the two, between knowledge and wisdom. I think culturally we may be losing sight of that, the massive proliferation of available information. In our lifetime, anybody in this room hearing this, just the massive proliferation of available information has seems to have created a dangerous license to say whatever we think. Well, it's knowledge. It's true. I'll speak it. Seriously? I think it's true. It's true enough. I'll speak it. I heard that it's true. I'll speak it. I heard from someone who heard that it was true. I'll speak it. I have it. I'll speak it. We need to slam the brakes on that truck. The sheer number of words we encounter seems to have diluted their power. And we're giving away the power of the word because of our insistence on excessively speaking. We're losing the power of the word as we seem to be drowning in a sea of words. The devil loves this, you guys. The devil loves this. It's how he divides. Why would he divide? So he can isolate. Why would he isolate? So he can devour. I think one of the ways believers of today are losing their way is through the abuse of social media. You're losing your way. Now let me say at the outset that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and whatever else is there coming is they're benign at their core. They're not evil. It's just a thing. They have as much capacity for amazing benefit as they do for the harm that they bring, yes? So I'm not railing against Facebook. It's benign. But it's what happens next, beloved, right? It's what happens next. You know, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I think in the participation in social media, we want to we look at what is our heart saying out there to the masses. But it's true. I heard, I heard that I heard that I heard that it was true. My First Amendment rights guarantee my right to say it. All true, all true. 
it just seems to, as a platform, open up the most dangerous kinds of abuse, such as saying things that are personal in public. Now, I'm only talking from one step removed. This is going to sound weird to some of you. I've never seen a Facebook page. I know. You say, come on! I, I think we have one at the church, because Tiffany tells me about it every now and then. I don't tweet. I have never seen an Instagram. I don't know. You know, personally, I made a decision that I don't need to be that connected with you all. I mean, I, I spend my life trying to hide from you as it is. I cannot imagine entering into that level of responsibility. And I'm not saying you all need to go home and can't. I'm not at all. You are free to make your own decisions, and I respect you for making whatever the decisions are. But I'm just saying, it just seems that people are saying things that are personal things in public. They're saying hurtful things in public. They seem to be saying things a person would never say in person by hiding behind the platform. Am I close? For a guy who has yet to see his first rate, am I close? Why am I close? Because I'm spending too much of my time dealing with the fallout of people whose lives are injured. And they come and say, help. And of course I'm glad to help, but it's like the story is the same. People who are saying things, who are standing behind the platform of it. I call this the cowardice of the send button. You don't have to be brave to push that button, do you? Because you can say, oh, that's not how I meant that. Am I getting close? The cowardice of the send button... The sin button creates a false sense of distance between you and the consequences of your words. I'm just going to lay that out there. Just poof. I know we call it social media, but I want to take issue with that designation for two reasons. One, social actually brings people together. I mean, people together. I have 932 friends. You must have a big living room. Oh, no, I never see them. Hello? Am I getting close? Social as a word, as a concept, brings people together. Actual people. And secondly, I take issue with the designation because although as platforms for communication they are benign, in many ways, they end up being divisive and antisocial. They, they become as anti I'm just hearing, I'm just 
picking up the pieces of people. They seem to be as antisocial as they are social. It says that fools die for lack of judgment, for lack of discernment. Fools. The whole book of Proverbs says, do you want to be wise or do you want to be a fool? It says, wise live, fools die. You're going to have to make your own decision on this. I'm not saying, I'm not giving you practical application. Because since I don't do it, then I'd be meddling, right? But I just want to tell you that Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification, that it may minister grace unto its hearers. Let no unwholesome communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification, nourishing, building up, that it may minister grace unto its hearers. You have in your mouth the capacity to minister grace. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus said among, probably to me, the second most haunting words of his life. When he said, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Here's my fear for you, beloved. When you pressed send carelessly without discernment, when you press send because I got to get this out there, it's not just that person, is it? You are multiplying your culpability by the number of people who see that. Now, I'm sure I may have to give account for a word that I have spoken to a brother. But I'm just really grateful that I didn't speak it to a thousand at once. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to come now. We need your wisdom. We need your ways. We need your blessing. We are caught up in cultural realities, Lord, that are killing us. Lord, I have no beef with technology. Praise God for the things that you have enabled us to do. I have no beef with technology. But neither do I have time for a lot of it. Because I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather deal with the seven or 800 people who call this place home than be known across the digital airwaves, God. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and bring about from us a response that brings you the most glory. Would you just speak to each of our hearts about this, Lord, and let your word 
of direction. Be clear. And would you give us the strength not to be sucked into a world that wants to give us a wisdom that doesn't abide, that doesn't prevail. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and and would you convict us of our sin so that we can turn to you and repent and receive mercy and grace? Repent then. I'm just laying claim to your word, Lord. Repent then and turn to God that our sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. How many of my brothers and sisters here would be so refreshed just to be released from the stress of the, of the global conversation, God? Would you just speak to them? Would you come, Lord, and give us your wisdom because your ways are higher than our ways? Would you show us what to do next?